Welcome to another episode of All Stars of Turf, our successor to the now retired Superintendent of the Year program. We're now able to recognize leaders within the turf industry 12 times each year instead of only once. With me today is our latest honoree or victim, one might say, Steve Cook, Director of Grounds, I think, correct? Yes, yeah, at, that's good. At Medina Country Club outside Chicago. Welcome, Steve. And yeah, congratulations. Thanks, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Quick story about our selection process for this. Uh, John Reitman, John Kiger, and I meet um, typically on Friday afternoons or Friday noonish. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about uh, who our next uh, honorees were going to be for both All Stars of Turf and Rising Stars of Turf. And I wrote. Steve Cook's name down on a uh, uh, notepad in front of me. And then John Reitman starts waxing poetic about, I know this guy who just, you know, he's one of the best turf managers and best people managers and best leaders. And, um, you know, he's just had a fabulous, fabulous career. He's hosted tournaments and blah, 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 blah. I said, all right, well, come on, who is it? He says, Steve Cook. So I picked up my pad and I shoved it in the, in the uh, it was a video conference. I shoved it in the camera and I said, well, we've got it. So uh, it was uh, immediate consensus as to who, who the next one was. So Steve, you, um, you're an Illinois native, correct? Went yep. to University of Illinois. Yep. Was it Champaign-Urbana? Or yep, Champaign-Urbana. Champaign? Yeah. Yeah. And I I. give us a little um, give us a little background on your uh, career succession from where you started up until uh, Medina, where you are now. Yeah, well, originally I wanted to be a forest ranger that I went uh, I went down there in forestry. I wanted to be out west in the mountains and that kind of didn't pan out. So I got a, I got a summer job on a golf course down there with a through a buddy um, and then switched my major to horticulture, got a degree in horticulture. Then actually, after uh, I graduated, came up here to Medina. So this is actually my second stint at Medina. I was here from 1980, I don't know, now 1985, maybe to 1989, something like that, 1990. Just on the crew? Just, uh, I was, of course, one superintendent. So I was a superintendent okay. on one of the golf courses. And then I had an opportunity to move to France, uh, grow in a, a, a build a new golf course over there, right outside of Paris, which was a wonderful opportunity. Um, Spent two years there, and then uh, the Wakanda Club uh, opportunity came in Des Moines, Iowa. So I was over in Des Moines for about five years. And then, you know, op opportunity came up at Oakland Hills, and that worked out for me. So I spent, like, I think 21 years at Oakland Hills, and then I've uh, been here at Medina since 19, uh, sorry, uh, 18, yeah, 2018, not 1918, 2018. So this would be my start of my fourth year, fourth or fifth year here. So, so it was a, a pretty big jump um, in some ways going from Oakland Hills, which is where most everybody uh, I think is aware of your career there due to the uh, tournaments that you hosted and the assistance that you graduated and all that kind of stuff. And you also went from 18 holes right to 54 36 at, at 36 to 54 but it's a much larger property at medina much yeah yeah much larger 
So you went from what is it, 250 acres to 650 or something? Uh, about 600, yeah. That's so over over double, yeah. So big, big, a big difference, a big big change. That's a lot of grass and a lot of trees. Yeah, you know, and I thought uh, I I thought that the model I had at Oakland worked really well, and uh, I thought, well, all I have to do is plug and play. It's just a, you know, I just have to increase what I'm doing here in terms of people or whatever, just in, in, in terms of the mindset and realized that I was really kind of in over my head for 12 months or 18 months was really a difficult transition. So I'd kind of overestimated my ability to do it well here. And have since I think found, uh, found the equilibrium of uh, a good system that works. So it was, it was a hard transition, much harder than I thought it would be. Really? Kind of baptism yeah. by fire, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think the good news is I recognized I was in a bit over my head and I had some good counsel from uh, friends that were over here, other superintendents that were over here that gave me some good counsel. Um, so I was able to take a step back and look at what I was doing and really realize that what I was doing wasn't working that well or wasn't working as well as I wanted it to work. So, so what's um, your staff hierarchy there now? Well, so there's there's me as the department head and then i created a golf course manager position that position uh, manages all three golf courses okay and they manage the operations of all three golf courses and then i have a superintendent on course three which is a championship golf course and then a superintendent that runs both course one and two those those properties can be handled by one guy one good qualified guy so really there's there's still four of us but i have one guy that runs the operations on all three golf courses so so when when one thinks about um, leaders in the golf turf industry, one can talk about good good slash great grass growers. One can talk about uh, good managers. One can talk about leaders, uh, mentoring. Uh, and you could certainly slide into or be accused of all of those, I think. But uh, I'm curious about. Let's put the turf grass aside. Let's talk a little bit about um, your management style, uh, leadership, um, and also you you or you have a reputation for uh, graduating um, some excellent assistants through the uh, the Steve Cook School of Leadership, so to speak. So tell us a little bit about that. Well. You know, I think that's thanks for asking that question because it happens to be one of the things I like talking about. But um, I, I think, you know, the, the key thing there is the definition of what a good assistant is or a good superintendent is and the guys that I've hired. And almost exclusively, the guys I've hired um, are just good people. You know, I really, I always just tried to hire a good person, a good human being who was nice to others and was kind and was hardworking and all those kind of things. Um, and with, with a great deal of success. I mean, I, I, I have, you know, one of the highlights of my career are not the people that have, that have left through my operations, but the relationships that I have with so many of them, not all of them I haven't kept touch with, but so many of them I have. And, um, those relationships are very meaningful to me. And so I always just tried to hire good people. I just tried to hire a good human being and the rest of it was pretty simple. Um, because, because what we do isn't really that complicated. I think we try to overcomplicate it at times. Um, and I just think if you hire a good person, you know, 99% of the battle is over. So I've been very fortunate and very grateful to have had a lot of really good kids come through, um, 
you know, my operations. Interesting anecdote. My, uh, my younger daughter, um, uh, before, before she went to, uh, to college, she had a semester off. So she, uh, decided to, um, apply to uh, a lot of high-end resorts around the country for whatever, you know, so, some kind of a job. And I remember her saying to me, dad, should I put my photograph on the resume? I said, of course, it's another piece, you know, it's another piece of equipment. So she sent them around and then the next day, this was 20 years ago, well, 15 years ago. So the next day, she gets a call back from Triple Creek Ranch in Darby, Montana, which was owned by the uh, CEO of Intel at the time, may still be. But uh, they said, well, we have an opportunity in our um, dining room. And this is five star stuff. This is not chuck wagon food. And she said, well, I don't have any experience with that. And they said, we can tell from your picture that you can smile. We can teach you the rest. That's right. You know, which is huge. Yeah. No, I mean, it, 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 that's what it's all about. You can, you know, you, you, uh, you can teach a good person a lot, but you, can, you can't teach a, you know, a bad person, if you will, very much. You know, so yeah, it's hard to teach character. That's they've got to have that or not have it yeah, before you, they show just, up. So, what was your um your selection process like? Um, was this just a uh, um one on one gut feeling that you had about somebody, or was there something that you put in place just as, sort of as a screen? Or yeah, no, we had a, or well, back in the day, you know, 10 years ago, you might have uh, during, you know, right around the time of the Ryder Cup in 04, 05, 2010, even, we might have 60, 70, 80 resumes for one position. You know, you just were flooded with applicants, particularly around the events. So our process was, uh, and still is, is a group process where we, we ask character-based questions. The, the turf experience doesn't matter to me too much, a little bit, but they've got a degree and they've been to an accredited school and that, that kind of works itself out. But um, most of our questions are character-based uh, questions, um, you know, and then we rely heavily on references because past behavior is an excellent indicator of future behavior. So to me, references are like, you know, 70% of it, 80% of it, um, just because I just, you know, you're, you, like you said, you can't teach character. So you either have character or you don't, and that usually shows up in the workplace and relationships. So we you know we would always delve into and still do delve into relationships with coworkers, like asking questions like, you know, have you ever had a disagreement with a coworker? And always asking questions that either begin with a W, typically begin with a W or an H, who, what, why, where, when, and how, and try not to ask yes or no questions, right? Are you a hard worker? Yes, I'm a hard worker. So you, you wanna ask questions where they can expand and explain themselves to you. So we were always asking questions like, have you ever had a disagreement with a coworker? Yeah. And if they're younger, that's a little bit of a difficult, difficult question. But as they get older, like in their early twenties, the answer is of course, yes. Of course. Or they're lying, one of the other. Correct. So, that, so what you're trying to get at it then is, is explain that and how they came out the other end of that disagreement, right? right. Did that disagreement get resolved? And that all is a window into a person's character. Cause if the disagreement didn't get resolved, then that's a problem. So we were asking questions like that, and that always leads to hiring really good people. So we were very thorough and still are really thorough 
in in the questioning and the reference checking because I, I just feel like you owe it to the existing team. If you've hired good people, you don't want to bring in a bad one because then that disrupts everybody. So I think there's an obligation to the existing team to make sure you hire a good person, right? Yeah, that's the old one bad apple thing. Yeah, which is right. very true with yeah. with a crew. Right. Um, just out of curiosity, what's your what's your um, staffing schedule like? Well, so well, we'll start at. Uh, Daylights, so we're on the eastern end of the central time zone. So we get sunlight pretty early. So we start a crew at 4.30, 4 or 4.30, we'll do a setup crew. And then the bulk of the crew starts at 5 a.m. And all, everybody will work till lunch. And then we keep some guys later till three. During COVID, everybody was working till three um, just to make up for the loss of manpower. And, uh, you know, the whoever's running the golf course, they'll set their own schedule. I don't get involved in the scheduling. And I haven't for a long time. Um, I don't, uh, you know, just as long as we're, you know, we're trying to get a ship from Liverpool to New York without hitting anything in between. Right. So my job is to, you know, if a guy's moving left or right, as long as he's not hitting any icebergs um, sure. and we accomplish the goal, then we've had a successful day. So, you know, we're probably not that much different than a lot of other operations, just trying to identify problems as they pop up and, schedule schedule them out for the following day and the following week so um compared to 10 years ago when there were resumes of plenty uh, i looked the other day on our job board on turfnet and there were over 200 assistant positions open and if you factored in uh second assistance in AITs, it was over 300. No. And I know guys are, 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 you know, just begging for, for an assistant. And I've seen clubs that, uh, I mean, high profile clubs that used to be inundated with resumes, I'm sure, you know, looking for help. And I'm talking the big, the top 10 ones. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? How did that happen? Well, um, yeah, salt inflicted damage, right, Peter? I mean, you know. I'll, I'll tell what, you in a minute what I think my or what I think the problem is. But go yeah, ahead. no, I'd be interested in what you think the problem is because you're you're running that job board. Um, I think it's all self inflicted damage. You know, for what two decades, three decades, we get these kids out of school, we pay them thirty thousand dollars a year, we make them work twelve hours a day, seven days a week with no days off every holiday. Then they plow snow in the winter. And then, you know, um, they're not treated that well. Not a lot of operations are not treated that well. So eventually that catches up with you. And a kid has to ask themselves, um, I mean, as, as, you know, is this what I want to do for $40,000 a year with my life? I don't get to go to any ball games. I don't get to see my family. I got to work every weekend. I'm constantly, um, you know, under this. Uh, and that's another one of my, my pet peeves is this glorification of overwork. You know, where if you're not there 14 hours a day, you're somehow less of a human being. So, of course, there's no assistance getting into the business. Of course, there's nobody in turf school who would do that. So the, the good news is, is I think that um, this is going to create. So right now, I mean, as you see on the job boards, the, the, the salaries and wages have almost doubled in the last few years. Way up. I've seen 70,000 for a yep. second assistant. I've seen 125 yep. for an equipment tech. Yeah. So now a kid who might get a job, a summer job on a golf course in high school, 
thinks, gosh, I could I could spend two years at a certificate program and I could come out making seventy or eighty thousand dollars a year. I think you're going to see the enrollment increase in turf programs. It might take a little bit to catch up, but now the wages are finally up to what these assistants should be making. Right. And I'm as guilty as the next, right? I mean, I underpaid all my guys. Right. Um, so I think I think it might take a while to catch up, but I would expect more people to be enrolling in turf now that the wages are where they should be. So that's what I think the problem is. I think it's self-inflicted, you know. Yeah, and I would agree hundred um, percent. My take is the 60 hour work week, as you said, Yeah. you know, I've seen so many intern listings that, you know, must be, must be willing to work 60 hours a week. Huh? Why? Well, uh, well, well that, that's a really good question. Why? If, again, if you, if you have to work, uh, Show me an operation where they have to work 70 or 80 hours a week, and I'll show you an operation that probably could use some efficiencies and a little yeah, bit better bad, organization. It's, it's bad management in my book. Yeah, I mean, nah, I couldn't agree. Um, you know, unless you're back in the days of trying to grow bent in Atlanta or someplace like that where they, you know, things had to be syringed like crazy all, you know, right. all afternoon long and you needed people to do that. I mean, that's one thing. But well, over the course of the summer, there are plenty of opportunities to work a 12 hour day, right? You could do that every day. Sure. I mean, the job is never right. done. Right. Um, but I, you know, I just think if you're efficient and organized, pick and choose those 12 hour days because there's plenty of them. So take advantage of the eight hour day when you can, or, or you yeah, know, the, yeah. even like in the summer, the 10 hour day, you know, which I mean, but to drive these kids and to drive, you know, for me, I don't want to work a 10 to a 12 hour day. So I have a real hard time telling everybody else, you got to work a 12 hour day when I don't want to, and I'm not gonna. Yeah. So I just, I just refuse to do it because I have other things outside of work that I like to do that make me a better person. And if your staff isn't doing something on the outside, they're not a, they're not a complete well-rounded individual. If they don't have some hobby, I don't know what that might be, but. Yeah. One of my heroes, um, is uh mark fuller who used to be at connecticut golf club it's retired now but um played on our hockey team for a couple of years and roomed with me over in ireland on a couple of trips and uh which gave us a long long time to uh get to know one another pretty well and to uh discuss a lot of things and and he would tell me he said you know i come in at five o'clock my assistant comes in at 5 30 the crew comes in at six and we lock the gate at 2 30. that's it yeah you know and, and i was talking to somebody the other day i don't remember who it was but was talking about the same thing um and uh he said well you know we work four on three off and wrote you know rotate so there's all kinds of ways to skin the cat so to speak yeah i mean we're all guilty of it, right? I'm guilty of it too, where it's, it's the staff is left and all the assistants are hanging around talking turf or talking sports and you have to catch yourself and shoo everybody out of the office, you know, get out of here, like go home. You know, I just think we spend so much time together that, you know, the more hours you give a guy to get a job done, the more hours he's going to take to get it done. So you have to force your managers, not, not, you don't, don't give them 10 hours. So you got you have to be organized enough and efficient enough and have the right resources 
to get in and get out and get the job done. I just, um, you know, and I just object strongly to this, as I said earlier, this glorification of overwork where you pick up a turf magazine or some kind of industry magazine and they're, they're celebrating these guys that are, you know, it's nine o'clock at night and they're spraying greens or something. And I think to myself, <laughs> I just, I just don't, that isn't attracting anybody to our business. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just isn't attracting anybody. So I don't think that things have changed. You know, the kids, kids don't want to work. Thankfully, I think it's really healthy. They don't want to work those hours. And I think it's healthy. Sure. I've been waiting for my dogs to uh, go well, crazy. You know how here. I feel about dogs barking is yeah. okay. I don't mind. <laughs> so moving along, um, it could be said, or you could be described as, as one of the highest profile guys in the business who keeps the lowest, the lowest profile, if that makes any sense, sort of, um, it's, it's my impression anyway, uh, over the last, certain the last 10 years or so that you've, um, sort of keep to the shadows or, uh, stay out of the limelight. Um, you know, not one for self-promotion. Um, but among the, uh, and I, I keep going back to when you were at Oakland Hills, you had uh, a blog that was one of my favorites. And, and you used to have um, Sadie's Rules of Life, which was your dog at the time, and just little nuggets of wisdom, such as, I've got it, it's, your blog's still up there. When someone steps on your tail, be quick to forgive. There you go, be enthusiastic. Look people in the eye. Create a sense of joy everywhere you go. Be a puppy as long as you can. Find time for quiet meditation. I love these things. And, and Man, every time, that's, that sounds really good when you're reading them. I don't it, know. I can't is. believe they're I came great. up with They're those. still there. That if you look in the sidebar, go to Sadie's Rules of Life. They're, they're still there. But you also had a quote, and you, you, you've got other quotes that are not Sadie's on there. And one of them that I saw when I was paging through the other day said something to the effect of, you don't climb a mountain to be seen, you climb a mountain to see the world. Which brings me to the next thing I'd like to touch briefly with you on, because we are going to do a whole nother segment um, on me maintenance um, regarding personal wellness. But you climbed a mountain in Nepal, Amada Blom, which is 22,000 and some odd feet. And this was when, change, two, yeah. 2016 or something like that? Yeah, uh, seven. Yeah, 16 or 17, I forget. 16, I think, yeah. So, I mean, I've seen some of the pictures from that. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> what, what prompted you to do that? Um, well, at the time I was, um, I was doing a little bit of climbing and I was just always looking for the next higher thing. And if you want to go higher, you know, you just got to, you got to keep looking for something higher. And um, that mountain in the Himalayas was a mountain that I could climb at the time of the year that I could do it and a price range that I could afford was really why I picked that mountain. So it was, it was a mountain that wasn't, um, you know, it was below 8,000 meters. It was very technical. Um, so I knew that uh, physically I could probably do it if I had the technical skills. Um, and and you, it was were, in, you were mid fifties at the time. 55, 50, 55 or 56. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was the oldest 
member of our team by 20 years. Everybody else on our team was a member. Of <laughs> so I was the old grandpa on that. On well, that, that, team. Says, but, that says something. Yeah. So I just, you know, and then it turned into a whole fundraising thing um, that kind of overshadowed everything else I was doing around that climb. Um, and it became, for me personally, it became much more about raising the money for uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation than it did about anything else. I just kind of, and it, not really by design, I was just looking to raise a little money. And that just, that whole thing just kind of exploded. I mean, and so it became, yeah, it became a nice purpose was, was fundraising. Huh. And how did you select Make-A-Wish? Uh, well, I had a relationship with them through at the time my wife um and so I was very familiar with their business model, very familiar with the staff at, at the Make-A-Wish Foundation there in Brighton, Michigan. I knew them all. Uh, I knew the process. So it became, I knew their fundraising process. So, and you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like an incredible cause, right? You're, you're helping sure. kids that are, um, on, have life-threatening illness, so, you know, achieve a, a wish that they might want. So, um, you know, I remember the first meeting I had with them uh, my original goal was like a, a penny a foot or a dime a foot or something like that, $2,240, whatever the summit elevation right, was. I kind of right. tied it to that. And they said, well, you know, as an individual fundraiser, if, if you're going to raise $2,000, you're going to have to ask every single person you know, because that's a pretty big number for an individual fundraiser, right? Now, well, okay. Well, as I walked out of the office, I thought, well, if 2200 is is going to be extremely difficult. I'm just going to add a zero and make it $22,000 even. If, if, if 2,200 is impossible, why not just add a zero to it? And lo and behold, you know, eight months later, we'd raised $35,000. So really? we ended up, I ended up being the, uh, or we did the uh, number one individual fundraiser in the state of Michigan that year. And, you know, and all the lessons that are, you know, you don't have enough time here to go through all the lessons on, on that. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that was the number one achievement of that whole experience was raising that kind of money, which was completely unexpected. I, I just complete, we kept raising the bar, kept raising the goal and people just kept pouring in money. So it was really, is, is well, a that's a, thing. that's a commentary on you also as a person, I would think. Well, now, you're also involved with, we won, are you not? Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm not I've as intricately involved today as I was when I was in Michigan because uh, uh, Mike Plague really was the was is the leading force over there. Um, but I helped Mike kind of run the Michigan event for the time that I was in Michigan, and uh, ended up being like a, a, a big fundraiser for the We One too, a big like a big piece of their revenue stream, and still is what, what they're doing over in Michigan. So, sure. Uh, Really good I stuff. Felt my, I felt fortunate to have known Wayne Otto back in the day. I yeah, met fact, him once. I, That's all I did. met him once through Danny Quas. So much of the fundraising is about, you know, we, we go through the, you know, it, you know, I'm guilty of it too. You got guys in my position or in our careers, anybody, you know, you think it's about um, achievement and what can I achieve in my career? And really, it's not about achievement, it's about contribution. And what, you know, what, what can I, if you can get rid of the word achievement and just think, but what, what can I contribute that makes, sure. it makes life a lot better. No doubt. Yeah. My, uh, my email signature is something to the effect of, I'd, I have to look it up, but it's um, stay safe, do well and do good because doing well and doing good are not the same thing. That's a pretty good day and a pretty good life, right? Yeah. 
you can do those three things, that's pretty good. Yeah. Steve, congratulations on being oh, thank on you. Your, I appreciate uh, it. All star of turf. It's well deserved. Um, I well, thanks for including me, Peter. We could continue this conversation for several days, probably. Well, but, uh, what's we next? Will. What's next? Uh, what's next for you? Well, um, so uh, we have hired uh, a new golf course manager here who, uh, when this project is finished, hopefully will step into my shoes and I can, I can uh, take a step back a bit from my daily duties and the number of, and my commitment uh, here. But, you know, I bought, a, I bought an Airstream, got a dog. Uh-oh, so, sounds like Kevin Ross. <laughs> yeah, so, so Peter, I would expect a visit. So when you see a, a, a Ram Laramie show up with a silver Airstream and a Labrador show up in the driveway, you'll not a problem. It is. You're very, you're very welcome at either yeah. place. Both, I both places that. we have are pretty nice. I appreciate that. Okay, let's wrap this up, Steve. Thank Again, you. congratulations. Um, you're admired as a as a superintendent, as a leader, but more or as much as a person. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. It's kind of you to say. Thank you. And uh, it's heartfelt. Um, we don't know one another that well. You've been a TurfNet guy for a hundred years, but. I don't know. We've been like ships kind of passing in the night yeah, for some reason. Well, I we'll want to but, make sure we rectify that. Yeah, let's change that. Let's fix that problem. Okay, I'd just like to thank our sponsors, uh, Foley and Air2G2, for making this all possible. Steve, you're going to have a box of swag coming. All right, um, nice. Such as. Beautiful. Oh, I like one. it. Yeah. Best of all, to hide that ball spot, we got another. Nice, yeah. We got some want, lids. Don't want to need sunburn on the crown. No. Um, yeah, so it's all all good. Again, thank you, and um, we'll catch up uh, under me maintenance. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Peter. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.